Welcome to Empower Half an Hour, a mental health podcast that brings firsthand interviews and testimonies to you. Welcome to Empower Half an Hour. My name is Brandon Spatz, and I'm your host. Joining us today is Gabe Howard. Gabe Howard is a mental health advocate, bipolar speaker, a podcast host, and a writer. He is a host of Inside Bipolar Podcast, a, a Healthline media podcast, and is the author of a book called Mental Illness is an Asshole. Welcome to the podcast, Gabe. Thank you. Thank you so much. So to start off, I want to just say, so Gabe Howard and I met about two years ago, and it was after one of his presentations that I was just getting started, and I had, um, you know, not a clue on where to start, but also I knew I wanted to do something that was more than just sit with my illness and sit with the potential that comes with it. Um, and first off, I just want to say thank you for all that you, um, have done with, with getting me started and giving me those resources, which we will talk about today. Oh, it's, it, it, uh, you, you did all the work. I, I just, I just, I forwarded a couple of hints and tips that I learned along the way. And, and when I got started, somebody did it for me. So it's a, uh, now, now that, now that you're established, you're, you're going to have to do it for somebody else. That's the way this whole thing works. Honestly, I look forward to it. I have um, personally actually uh, six startups under my wing already. So it's it's uh, one of those things that it's, it's really beneficial to uh, mentor others in the upcoming years and, and, and decades after that. Uh, so I want to just kind of get started and talk about your background uh, for the viewers that might not know who you are and um, how you got into your own advocacy uh, career. I, I, I fell into this backwards. I, 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 I'm very fond of saying that, that an hour before I was committed to a psychiatric hospital where I was ultimately diagnosed with bipolar disorder, uh, I, I didn't think anything was wrong with me. I thought that mental illness was something that happened to other people, people who came from bad families or did bad things. Or I, I believed in in every stereotype, every stigma, every everything that you can imagine. I believed that. So if if we ask how I started my advocacy career, it was uh, the bad thing happened to me. And I was like, oh, wow, how did I not know this? How was I not prepared for this? Why was I discriminating against people? Why was I perpetuating stigma? How come nobody taught me anything, which left me in harm's way? And of course, also meant that I, I've, I, I've probably stigmatized and discriminated against people and made people's life harder because I didn't know. Uh, and I went through hell. I just went through hell. I thought the, the entire mental health system was just just garbage. And all of those things coalesced, and I thought, you know, I, I, I really want to try and do something. And I started really, really small. I volunteered for a, a mental health charity, and it just kind of grew from there. That, that's, that's really how the whole thing started. You know, that's, that's really interesting because um, I feel like anyone, when they're starting off with their, their mental health diagnoses, fall, uh, fall into some of those patterns of, contributing to some of the stigmas um, and it's common because you know 
we're still learning ourselves. Yeah, there's no handbook when you get a, a diagnosis of a mental illness, especially not bipolar disorder. I know uh, myself being diagnosed with it as well, followed in those same patterns. And, um, you know, it, it's the more we gain insight to us um, that we, we can then benefit and then make those steps towards advocacy. Um, so you said you started with a nonprofit. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So the my family, we, we were all so confused. Uh, that, that's the first, you know, just and I know this is not. I, I don't think I need to explain the confusion and the chaos and the and the terror that comes with finding out that your loved one has a serious and persistent mental illness, or finding out that you yourself have one. And like you said, there there's really no handbook. There's 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 websites and now there's podcasts and and there's there there's stuff out there but it's it's just all kind of floating around and one of the things that my family did is they were able to make their way to a family support group and they they got to sit in a room with other people and say you you know my loved one has bipolar disorder what the hell and get answers to questions get support get whatever it was they needed when i reached recovery my family told me about this. I didn't know what was going on at the time. I was focusing on on getting better, reaching recovery. Uh, but they were like, you know, Gabe, we got a lot of support from this organization. And and I was like, okay. And uh, I found the organization and I just volunteered. And the, the very first thing that I did was a fundraising event. It was just a, it was a team captain for a walk for Pete's sake. And uh, and I did really, really well. I mean, I, I had, you, you know, I'm a talker. That that's that's I'm a talker. I know a lot of people. And, and also my, my family was really engaged as well, right? I had a good team. I was the team captain, but I had a good team of my family who was dying to give back as well. And I just happened to be the number one team captain that year. I raised the, 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 the most money. And the next year they were like, Hey Gabe, you know, you raised a lot of money, et cetera. Can you speak at our kickoff luncheon? Just kind of tell a little bit of your story, you know, why you got here, why you did it. And, uh, and and that way people understand your why. That was the whole big thing. Why did you do it? Why did you participate? And I I I told my story. It was it was a little twenty minute speech, Brandon. It wasn't it wasn't it was a little twenty minute speech, uh, but it was my first one, and uh, I, I got a standing ovation. And I don't get many of those. I, I'm not a big standing ovation guy. Uh, and I got a standing ovation. And I was just like standing there at the podium. I was like, whoa. I want this a lot. And, and I decided right then and there, I, I I wanted to be a public speaker. Now, it would be years before I would become like a, a paid keynote speaker you know, like I am today. But in those moments, I, I started to give more presentations, serve on panels, get training. I started reading books on how to become better at it. I started blogging, you know, just writing little articles, uh, you know, 400, 500, 600 words and getting them published out there. And all of this is that that's that's the beginning. Those are the beginning stages. And, and I did it all pretty much with this mental health charity who I was volunteering for because they vouched for me. They, they were like, yeah, he does a lot of volunteer work for us. So that gave me credibility and the ability to to get trained and to serve on panels and, and to serve as a volunteer for them, uh, which gave me a lot of experience. That is, um, you know, a really straightforward method, too, because, you know, really, when you start with something as small as um, just fundraising, uh, it doesn't have to be something, 
you know, right off the bat speaking in front of people is that can be a barrier for people right off the bat. I know for me coming out of high school, I would have uh, faked illness just to get out of speaking. Uh, you know, it was one of those, uh, those things that I thought was impossible. I think it's also important to point out, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but, but so many people, Brandon, so many people are like, Gabe, I want to be a keynote speaker like you. And then they go apply for a keynote speech and they don't get it. Well, of course they don't get it. They're they're not ready yet. Uh, it's the literal equivalent of like your first day as, as a college freshman, you apply for graduation. It's like, well, but I saw all these other people graduate. Right. But th they graduated four or five years later. Uh, so I, I really want to encourage everybody that wants to be a keynote speaker. You, you, you've got to build up. You've got to gain that experience. You've got to start with those free speeches. Don't don't go applying for the the, the keynote position at the conference. Uh, it, it took me years. And I want everybody to hear that year, not not weeks, not months, years. It took me longer to be a keynote speaker than it took me to beat bipolar disorder, which always makes me joke. It is harder to be a keynote speaker than it is to uh, beat bipolar disorder and, and live well. And and I just want everybody to hear that because I see so many people, so many people that they would be great and they are great and they are amazing. But because they don't have success in the first couple of weeks or even couple of months, they quit. And I'm so sad for that because they will be amazing if they put in the time, energy, effort, experience, practice and grow. I think that is wonderful because, you know, when you look at it, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. You know, we have to get through those long-term uh, goals first. You can't just, you know, jump right out into it and expect everything to be handed to you. And it will be so much more worth it when you get that uh, doing it the right way rather than just wanting everyone to hand it to you. And I see so many people, you know, especially when we look at starting of their mental health journey to get to recovery, they just want everything to be handed to them. But it's not always that easy. You have to put in the hard times, the, the times that are very difficult. And, you know, some days you just feel like you don't want to put effort into it. Same with like podcasting. Some days you might not want to release an episode because you just don't have that energy. But the consistency that comes with it is what makes the difference in the long run. 100%. 100%. Everything that you just said, completely agree with. And it really will make it um, so you will be a better speaker in the long run, too, because the more practice you get with it, the more mistakes you make, the mistakes are what you want. You don't want a standing ovation every single time. You want to learn from those mistakes. I mean, now, now hang on. I would, I, would, I would like a standing ovation. <laughs> well, long term, you would. But in terms of um, finding the mistakes, is if, if I get someone standing up and, and, and cheering me on every time, I'm going to think nothing was wrong with my speech. I'm going to be so I'm going to be so happy at the end of that. And I'll forget anything that I might have, you know, forgot to put in or forgot that I accidentally said. But if I had someone every once in a while not stand up to me and say, yeah, this is great. That's where we can make the progress and see that we made those mistakes and then we can learn from them. But I agree, it would be fantastic if we had someone every single time just cheering us on. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I loved what you said about how you, you need the people around you to stand up to you and, and tell you the truth. I, when I first got started, I, I had a lot of, uh, you know, people 
it, it was sort of patronizing and infantilizing, right? I felt like I was a, a, a second grader on a stage, like for the holiday play at school. And the parents were just like, oh my God, you're the most amazing actor ever. And you're going to get a, an Academy Award. Oh, you're just, you're, you're the best of the best of the best. And what they're thinking is, God, this sucked. Oh my God, these things are horrible. These kids can't dance, but they, they lie to your face. Now, I, I'm not I'm not suggesting that parents go out and be mean to their 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 second graders, but I I want to actively be good, and it, you know it was hard in the beginning. It was hard in the beginning for people to see me, and they're just like, yeah, I mean it was okay, dude. Like you know, all right, it was fine. I you know I I don't know. I mean it was yeah, you got the words out. You know, you didn't make eye contact, and then it was kind of hard to hear you, and you kept moving away from the microphone. And it's like, man, I I thought I did I thought I did well, uh, but. I, I, all of a sudden I learned how to use a microphone. I, I learned to move the microphone with me. All of a sudden I learned to make eye contact. I, I would write, it, it, people said one of the biggest criticisms I got in the beginning when people started being honest with me is that I talked too fast. Uh, and so I had to, I had to learn to slow down. Another criticism was that I, I didn't pause enough, right? I just, I just kept going and going and going and going and going. And I didn't give the audience any time to react, it, whether it's, you know, laugh or clap or just take it in for a second, you, you know, pausing is really like, these are really advanced things. And by the time I started instituting these things in, which I learned from the criticism, it, it allowed me to be so much better. Uh, you, but you got to find people who are, you can trust, you know, honest critics are hard to find and you've got to give the people who you trust permission because it, it, you, you know, that this is, if, if you got good family and friends, they're going to back everything you do. Uh, but you've got to explain to them that, hey, just telling me I'm good when you know I suck is not helping me. Uh, you know that mean uncle that everybody has or that mean aunt? you you got to go find that person and bring them. Uh, it's going to suck to hear, but as soon as you make them happy, it, you, you can compete anywhere. I really like that because, you know, when we look at especially disabilities and people that struggle with mental health and addiction, oftentimes people don't know what to say to us and they might want to just sugarcoat everything and say, you know, that's great because that's the easiest thing to do because they think they're helping us because they're actually causing, um, you know, the, the, the point where we get stuck and, and we're not learning from our mistakes because, you know, all we hear is this is great. You did a fantastic job today, but finding a way to be honest with them and, maybe just open up and saying that I kind of do want some criticism here and there. It doesn't have to be every single time. I don't have to be tiptoed around with my mental health because, you know, we all know, especially with uh, bipolar disorder, you know, when we're on uh, our highs and lows, sometimes it's easier for people just to tiptoe around us and, and avoid us because it's just one less argument to have. But, in the long run, if we can break that and make it so we get some criticism here and there, I think that's the, the you know, sugarcoating that we need. And it's, it's constructive, right? It's constructive criticism. I, I don't want anybody to hear like, hey, you suck, right? Because that, that's not that's not constructive criticism. That's not helpful. Uh, but if somebody says, you know, look, Gabe, I was I was bored. Uh, OK, why were you bored? Well, you spent 15 minutes describing your childhood bedroom. That's boring. All right, well, that's a really good point. I can take that part out. What parts did you like? Well, when you were talking about being in the psychiatric hospital, I, I wanted more of that. Okay. So, and this is, this is, this is what I mean by listening to the, the people, you know, the, the evals that they send out and, and even in volunteer jobs, like on panels, et cetera, 
a lot of they they always send out evals. Now a lot of times they don't send them to the volunteers. This is a this is a pro tip, right? A lot of times when you're volunteering, they just send you the thank you note that you were wonderful, give you the the you, you know the because you you help them, right? And they don't want to say anything negative to you. And I understand that, and that's that's good advice. Executive directors everywhere do not insult your volunteers, um, but. You as the volunteers go up to the executive director, the volunteer coordinator, whoever your handler was for the event and say, look, I, I'd like to see the evals. I, I understand there might be negative things in there, but I, I want it all. I, and now they, they may not send you the actual eval because there's a lot of you know private data that they're collecting, but just say, please, anybody who says anything about me, positive or negative, you got to state that positive or negative, please send to me. It's how I'm going to get better at this. And if you have that private conversation, you know, send that private email, make that real connection, they will. Uh, and, and yeah, it, it does suck to read an anonymous thing that was like, well, he was born and he slobbered too much. It's like, what What, what do you mean I slob? What the hell does that even mean? But, but you asked for it. You read them. As soon as that volunteer coordinator, executive director sends them to you right back and say, thank you so much for all of this. I really, really appreciate it. And, and then read them, decide which ones to act on, which ones to ignore. The, the, the compliments, the things that you did well, that's important data as well. Maybe print some of those out, put them on a bulletin board for when you're feeling down. But listen, if you're not gathering this data, if you just have this base assumption that you're the greatest X ever, you're, you're never going to get better. And, and listen, I, I want everybody within the sound of my voice to know that the, the, the elite athletes do this. I just think of the best quarterback or basketball player or hockey player that you can think of. Do you honestly believe that they're not getting coached, that they're not watching video, that they're not practicing their weak spots over and over and over again, that when they do something in a game and it didn't go the way that they wanted, that they're not, they're not, you know, learning about it and figuring out how to do better. So sincerely, I, I'm not saying anything that, uh, again, is, this should not be controversial, but like you said, Brandon, because we live with mental illness, people think that saying anything negative to us is is mean, is wrong, is is whatever. Just listen. I love to be called brave, and I love to be called a hero. But oh my god, I just I, I, I want to be a brave hero who is also impactful and effective and good at my job. And you're robbing me of those last three if you're just telling me what I want to hear and effectively lying to me. And, and I think that we, the, the the people living with bipolar disorder, the advocates, we have to own that. And, you know, I've been doing this as if you're a speaker, but whatever you're doing, advocacy, podcasting, writing, whatever, you, you've got to seek out these ways that you can improve so that you can keep getting better. And then you got to move on to step two, which is to decide who to listen to and who not to listen to. Because not every criticism is something that you should act on. Not everybody will like you no matter how hard you try. And if you try to make everybody happy, you're going to make nobody happy. Exactly. And, you know, weighing out the data and finding which one is important to focus on is, is the most important part because there is going to be a lot more on there, just, you know, just notes about how it went and then, you know, which one is going to make the most impactful um, change in my speaking, in my, you know, podcast or whatever it may be. It's, it, it's extremely impo uh, important when we look at that. Um. So looking at, um, you know, your, your career as a mental health advocate, um, how do you prioritize your mental health in such a stre uh, stressful career? 
Uh, for instance, when you have traveling, I know you travel from state to state and even to different countries at this point, which is amazing. Uh, but we also know that with bipolar disorder, it is very important to have a sleep schedule because it can trigger mania. And it's I'm, I'm curious to see how you do this because with traveling that much, it's got to be difficult. So, so there, there, there's no hard and fast answer. I, I, I would, I would love to tell you that. Oh, I do X and I get Y. Uh, but there are some hints and tips that I've learned along the way. First and foremost, it, you, you've got to be really stable in your recovery to take on something a, as big as like traveling all over. You know, leaping from different time zones and, and things like that. So you've got to decide for yourself, n- nobody else what your stability level is, what your, your, your foundation is, and, and if you can rock it a little bit. Uh, in the beginning, in the early days of my recovery, I never could have done this job. The, the, the routine, the sleep schedule, all of those things, it, it would have set me back into symptoms because I was not stable enough. So I, I worked up to this and, and, and I, I, I got there. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is there's just certain things that I can't do. And one of the, some speakers and, and, you know, God bless them. I, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I just watch them and I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm enthralled by them. They get on a plane in the morning, they fly someplace, they give a keynote speech at noon, uh, and then they fly out. And, and that, that, that's, that's amazing. Like, that's incredible. Forget it. That would never happen. I always, 100% of the time, fly in the night before. So I fly in the night before, that's step one. So, and then I, I tend to take, I, I try to take earlier flights. So I usually have the, the evenings in my hotel uh, and, and that's what I do. I, I get in there, I unpack, I watch TV, I, I, you know, I've got my laptop, I, I sign into streaming and, and just get those comforts of home. The next thing is, is I've set up my, my sleep at home, I, I, I mimic it in the hotel room. So for example, I, I have a body pillow that I carry with me and I have a white noise machine that I carry with me. So that way, when I turn off the lights, I've got my body pillow and the white noise machine. It's dark. It, it kind of feels like home. I mean, my wife's not there. My dog's not there. I'm, I'm not, you know, but, but you know, there, there's these moments where it just, it feels natural to me. Uh, the next thing is, is I, I get up the next morning, right? And I, I go through my whole routine, uh, just, just like I normally would. And it, it, it's as close as I can in, in different cities. And then I go on to the event. Um, I always try to get the 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 later speaking in, engagements. That, that's not always a hundred percent. I just but if they leave it up to me, you know, do do you want to do breakfast or lunch? Lunch. Do you you know do you want to do lunch or dinner? Dinner. Uh, you know, I always try to do those things. Uh, and then the next thing is is depending on when I'm done determines when I fly out. Uh, so if I get done at, at you know nine o'clock at night, I, I'm not flying the red eye home and, and getting in at four a.m. That's just too much. And then there's a million little things along the way there. You know, just I, I, I try to be mindful of how many back-to-backs I, I'm doing. You know, if I'm getting in on Tuesday uh, and then, you know, from one time zone and then they want me to fly straight out to another time zone, maybe that's not for me. Uh, or maybe it is. I just, I have to make those decisions on what's worth it and, and what's not and what I think I can handle. And then finally, and this is this is the, the biggest, biggest, biggest one for Gabe, I build in buffer days. Some people, they, they get home at, you know, six o'clock on Tuesday. They're back at work on Wednesday at 7 a.m. like nothing happened. Not me. 
Now, I mean, Wednesday is marked off on my calendar. I'm not taking meetings. I'm not, I'm not, you know, interviewing people. I, I'm not doing anything. I just, I just get up and whatever happens, happens. Now, that doesn't mean that sometimes I don't get paperwork done. That doesn't mean that sometimes I wake up and I don't feel, you know, super energetic and, and start, you know, mapping out a pie, but I don't schedule anything with people so that if I want to just sit and do nothing and have a recoup day, it's available to me. Uh, all of these things are are big, big deals. The, the very last thing that I want to point out is that sometimes, no matter how hard you try, you just overcommit and uh, you you start to feel it build up. Do not ignore that. I, 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 I have ignored it in my career. I have ignored it in my personal life and it always ends up poorly. And when I say it ends up poorly, I, I don't mean like I end up, uh, you know, being committed to a psychiatric hospital. I, I mean, I, I end up yelling at my wife and friends or I botch an interview because I'm not, you know, in a, in a mental place to do it. Or I write something and I turn it in and they're like, wow, we, we really thought you were better at this. And, and then I read it a couple of weeks later and I'm like, oh my God, why did I write that? That I, I was clearly not in a good place. And by write that, I don't mean like I wrote something offensive or mean. I mean, like it wasn't good quality writing. It, it didn't have, you know, the grammar was terrible. Uh, and and they're just like we 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 thought you were a better writer, uh, and, and that makes me look bad in front of a client. So and then of course that brings on more anxiety. Leaving space is super super important. Understanding your limitations is super super important, and building out things around you that can help you settle calm is super important. And then finally, I just I want to say it again: figure out how many of your routines you can bring on the road. You would be surprised surprised at how many routines you can mimic while traveling. And and finally, the last thing I'll say, this works for vacations too. The, 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 this works for going to your parents. The, this works for, uh, you know, visiting your in-laws. The, the, this works for the romantic weekend with your significant other. Uh, and, and it helps with those anxieties as well. That is a wonderful routine when we look at it, um, having those multiple steps following and recreating your overall environment because small details when we look at traveling on even not for work, you know, like you said, with vacations too, it can throw us off. You know, change is not always uh, someone with a mental illness's trend. It, it's, it's hard for us. And being that you're doing such amazing work and doing it within a um, regimen that is so effective is, um, I mean, it's, it's just overall, I, I can't, um, can't just really look at it enough because I've struggled with even just simple travel and each time it gets better because, you know, we, we get used to it. I love that you said that, that, I, yes, when I first started traveling, it was extraordinarily difficult. I would show up at the airport five hours early. I'd have a friend wait with me before I crossed over to the TSA, right? I was just like super scared. Uh, but then it, it got easier and easier and easier and easier. So, you know, that, that that's the other thing, Brandon. You know, some things that used to cause me anxiety, stress, or mess up my routine, they're, they don't anymore. I, it, it, it's literally no problem. Uh and, and, and I, I think that people need to sort of recognize that for a moment. And, and I think that more often than not, people don't. They, they see the level where you are today and they assume that you started off that way. Remember what I said about your first speech is not going to be your keynote? Yeah, in, in the early days, my travel didn't go well. All right, I mean, okay, that, that, that's not fair. 
In the early days, my travel was much more taxing, more difficult, and I needed more time to recoup. And sometimes I would even bring somebody with me. I would bring a family member or a friend uh, with me to, to help cover for me. And I, I want to disclose, because I don't want to leave anybody um, you know, with a mistaken impression, this still gets to me sometimes. And for the bigger speeches, like for example, when I went to England and spoke at Oxford, I brought somebody. I knew that I could not do that alone. I needed a support person and it, that that allowed me to do it. Now it, it costs a lot of money to do that. So, you know, sometimes that, that's not always available, but you, you've got to factor that in and it, 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 it's tough. I mean, I basically, you, you know, did Oxford for free because all the expenses it ate up all the money, but I, these are decisions that people have to make. And so often I hear people prioritize, you know, profit over their mental health. And, and I, I'm, Profit is very important. We have to eat. We have bills. We have rent, mortgages. I, I'm not saying that. But if you're going to do this on any level, you're probably going to have to spend some money and some time on things that are important to your mental health that maybe other speakers aren't having to spend. I only point that out because in the speakers group I'm in, they're like, what, what do you mean you spent your entire speakers fee to bring somebody with you? That was dumb. Yes, from a business standpoint, it was. From a mental health standpoint, it was not. And and that's what we have to weigh. These are the decisions that we have to make. And and sincerely, I, I don't think there's anybody living with severe and persistent mental illness that hasn't had to make these hard decisions. So I, I know I'm I'm a little bit uh, preaching to the choir. You know, and that's that's true because um money isn't everything. You know, as long as we have enough to get us by and you know, the rest is just added. And having the the uh, individual to come with you that you feel comfortable with makes all the difference. Because then, after your you know presentation, you do get that chance to spend time with them and kind of unwind and de-stress a bit. So it's it's far uh, far more than just someone else coming with you. Um, so I want to I want to move on to the next one here. And um, so being that you're a very charismatic speaker that knows how to appeal to a wide variety of um, individuals with um, you know, your speeches, how have you been able to kind of take your speeches and then fine-tune them into the right point? Um, so being one person, you might want to talk one way and the other. It's important to stress the facts on you know, statistics because they're, each speech is different. So there's, first and foremost, there, there, there's no, it, it, these are tough things, right? There, there's nothing worse than standing up in front of an audience and knowing the thing that you're going to say is going to tick them off. I, I just, I, I, there, there, there is a, there is an art to it uh, there. And, and you've got to decide if, if you can encapsulate this art, if it's willing to do, uh, but you know, obviously by and large, people who disagree with me don't hire me, right? You, you know, if, if, if they don't, if they're not aligned with my message, they, they don't hire me, right? I, I don't get hired at a lot of anti-psychiatry conferences because I say that I take medicine and that it has made me better. And that while the pharmaceutical companies definitely need more oversight and regulation, by and large, research into the treatment of serious and persistent mental illness is a good thing. And many people, myself included, need medications. Now, the anti-psychiatry folks, they're, they're like, no, all medication is bad. They're just building customers. Big pharma, evil, evil, big pharma, evil, big pharma. They're never going to hire me. But 
in the off chance that they did, I have to be careful that that main that that stays my message. It is it is so easy. It is so easy to tell the crowd what they want to hear. And when you tell the crowd what they want to hear, they clap. And that feels so good. And, and they do what you want. And that feels so good. But then you're a panderer. Then you're a liar. Then you're no longer an advocate. So you've got to make sure that you're not just telling the crowd what they want to hear, but what they need to hear. And that's that's a super hard thing to do. And it, you've just got to make sure you're doing it. Now, the, to, to give a couple of hints and tips, first off, you should never tell a whole bunch of uh, a crowd they're wrong. So it's just offensive and they'll stop listening. E- even if you know in their, you know, let, let's, let's make this simple. Let's say that you're standing in front of a group of people that says two plus two equals five, right? Two plus two equals five. That, that, is, that is wrong. That is completely wrong, right? And, and I get hired to convince them that two plus two equals four. All right. I'm not going to walk out on the stage and say, you guys are a bunch of stupid idiots, all right? This is basic kindergarten math. Two plus two is always equal to four. What the hell is wrong with you, right? Dummies and like hold up two fingers and be like, two, two, four, C, and then walk off the stage. That's never going to work. I All of those facts that I just said are correct. Two plus two does equals four. If I hold up two fingers, then two fingers, I have four, right? But it's just not going to work. What I would do is I would come out and say, hello, everybody. My name is Gabe Howard, and I'm, I'm an expert on on two plus two. Right. This this has been my my life's journey. And it all started when I developed an appreciation for math when I was seven. And maybe I tell a little story about my dad teaching me math. Uh, you know, so, so, you know, I make a couple of jokes. I kind of build a rapport with the audience. And I'm like, all right, let's get to the hard stuff. Uh, all right. There's a, a lot of people believe that two plus two equals five. Right. And I understand, you know, there's not a lot of good math education in in, in, in America. Right. It's difficult. Right. It's difficult. But but let's we really need to break this down because I believe that you want the correct information. You want to know, even if you don't agree with me, just hear me out. I know you want to understand what other people are thinking. So let's talk about this. Now, I did some research and two plus two equals five was really born out of this. This was the thought process that got us to two plus two equals five. And, and then it just went like gangbusters. People believe it. It's easy to believe. People just started repeating it. And before you know it, everybody just believed that two plus two equals five. But hang on a second. Let's let's look at this. Let's look at this from a different light and a different lens. All right. So we've got the two, right? You know, I'm holding up two fingers right now, and I'm going to use my other hand. I'm going to hold up two other fingers. Now, if I can just everybody to get to, now we all agree that's two and two, right? Right? Do we do we agree? You know, the audience like chuckles a little, right? They're they're on board. Like, all right, let's count them out loud. One, two, three, four. All right, so we we've got to four now. I'm I'm just curious. Has is this is this is this relating to anybody? Is anybody kind of wondering like, hey, hey, maybe that weird redheaded guy's right? And then people kind of chuckle a little bit again. I'm like, can we see where two plus two is four? Ha- have I have I convinced anyone? And then the, the audience starts to shift. Right now, if, if the audience shifts rapidly, I, I move on to. You, you know, I, I like skip over some steps, right? If the audience is still not good, I'm like, okay, that's fine. Hang on a second. That, that's no problem. I, I still see that you're skeptical. That is no problem. Who likes candy? Well, I brought some candy bars. All right. Now I got two candy bars in this hand and two candy, but I would skip that if the audience, like if, if the first, so I'd, I'd have some extra examples in my head that I would make a game time decision whether or not I was going to use. And, and then I would do that. And then obviously you can't get them all. When I, I would I would use my examples, I would do everything, and then I would end on sincerely, everybody, thank you so much. You, you know, I just I this is math. 
I, it's, it's a horrible subject. I mean, come on, man. We all love marching band and football more. So who wants to talk about this? But you came today, and I believe that you came today because you wanted to hear me out. Listen, I don't know if I changed your mind. I don't go home with you, but I hope that you will sincerely think about this because obviously having the right information is how we as a society and as people will make the best decisions using math moving forward. So thank you so much for your time. If you have any questions, I'll be over here and I really appreciate it. Now, some people will be like, that guy's an idiot and two plus two equals five. I'm completely unconvinced. Many people will be in the middle that they're, 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 they're swayable. They're like, I don't know. I don't want to believe the first dude who shows up and tells me that two plus two equals four, but he made some really compelling points. So you know what? I'm now, I have opened their mind. And then another group, their mind was opened by other people, but they've come to me and I've finished them off. And all of those things working in concert is, is how you enlighten people to your way of thinking, how you shift people on thinking. And now two plus two equals five. That, that, that's a hard stop, right? We, we know that two plus two does not equal five. We know that it equals four. Where it gets more confusing is when we get into things that are, I, I, don't, I don't want to say that they're opinion based, but they have some gray area. You, you, you know, and, you, you know, like people with mental illness are not violent. Well, but but some people are and it's because of their mental illness. So we can't. Now, how do we decide that? Should you be worried about all mentally ill people because this very small fraction is violent? Some people say yes. Some people are like, look, I don't care that it's a tiny fraction. I need to be careful. Maybe they work in law enforcement. Maybe they work in the hospital setting. So they're, they're more prone to see those people. So you've got to be careful that you don't speak in black and white and say things like, People with mental illness are never violent. You have nothing to be concerned about because in the first time they see on the news a, a person with mental illness suffering from psychosis who reacted violently, they're going to be like, well, I'm not going to believe anything that dude said now. So we have to be careful about that too. Take some time, figure it out, work it out, connect with your audience, give them the facts. And this is the hardest part, Brandon. You have to trust the audience to use their critical thinking skills to make their own decision. Too many speakers tell the audience what to think and then leave. You've got to decide, are you trying to make critical thinkers or are you trying to make fans? Brandon, for my money, I want as many critical thinkers as I can find. Because even when I'm not around, they'll still be critical thinkers. And that is going to move this whole thing forward. It's an investment. You know, when we look at uh, the type of audience and especially looking at criti critical thinkers, you know, you're... You're putting the information to them using the correct language and then hoping your investment will pay off and they will go to that next person and the next person and use the correct language rather than, you know, using any other type of uh, language that will promote stigma. And I think that's a really um, unique way to look at it. Uh, I know we do something very similar on our podcast here. Um, we purposely do not talk about medications by name because one of the biggest things is every person you know one thing is um if you hear someone talking about a medication name then people attach to it they think well i'm struggling i need something like this if my friend you know said it works but that is one of the most yeah it worked for gabe so i want to do it yeah, and that's one of the most damaging things you can do by providing a name to someone because, you know, when we have someone that tries the medication and side effects come, maybe something bad happens, then they automatically will have damage in their recovery 
due to one person saying a name of a medication. So that's that's one of the things we do with language here is we, we don't usually, we don't allow it because it can be so um, easy to misspread and then also cause damage to people. So I totally understand what you mean by um, providing the language to kind of go into an investment. So when we look at individuals that are trying to find a specialty um, and trying to stand out within their um, their potential career as a mental health advocate, what would you recommend um, to really get them started and uh, not fall into a area that's so widely populated um, that they can't grow? Yeah, so there, there, there's a there's a few things here. First and foremost, you, you, you got to be honest with yourself. Where do you want to be? Where's your passion? What do you what do you know the most about? What do you enjoy talking about the, the, the most? What do you want to research and grow and learn the, the, the most? Uh, I, I'm not saying that demographics don't matter, and I'm, I'm not saying that there's not a business aspect to this, because there is. But, you know, I, I live with bipolar disorder, and, and it's not surprising that, that that is my area that, you know, that's what I talk about a lot, living with bipolar disorder. Now, from a business aspect, I have opened it up, of course, to I talk about living with serious and persistent mental illness, because there's a lot of things that it just has in common, whether you live with schizophrenia, major depression, whether, whether you're having uh, uh, you know, issues in the workplace because of your mental health. It doesn't matter which, you know, what your diagnosis is, all of those things are similar. Now, specifically, I offer Tim's on bipolar disorder. Now, bipolar disorder has a little bit of a, an extra oomph where I can also offer tips on major depression because major depression is part of bipolar disorder. So so finding out those things that allow me to expand. I also have anxiety and panic attacks, so I've obviously got anxiety. And I can decide, you know, to pull them out and just talk about anxiety, pull it out and just talk about major depressive disorder, pull it out and talk about only bipolar disorder. Uh, or of course I can also talk about psychosis or so I, I can I can pull it out and 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 narrow that or I can speak more broadly for a broader audience as needed. Uh, but what I can't do is pretend. I, I can't decide that, ah, uh, you know, there's just not a lot of schizophrenia advocates. So I'm just going to go ahead and be a schizophrenia advocate today. Uh, there is nothing worse, and, and I know, uh, unfortunately, more than a few mental health advocates are, they just have everything. Whatever room you're in and whatever anybody's talking about, they have. I mean, it's amazing that they have literally the entire DSM-5. They have been diagnosed with the entire book Every single mental health ailment ever they have. And obviously their customers don't realize that they're full of crap. Uh, but I've sat in enough rooms with them to know that, yeah, you're just lying for the money. Don't be that person. Integrity, honesty, it matters. It, 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 yes, you will probably make more money if you're willing to lie. I, in fact, you will make more money than if you're willing to lie. But uh, you will be ethically and morally bankrupt and it, people will figure it out eventually. So the first in, the first thing that you want to do is take a solid inventory of who you want to be. Forget about everybody else for a moment. Just decide who you want to be. Then find a way to stand out. And that way can be, you, you know, a long, long time ago, I, I, I've been doing this for a long time. I, I, I've been so long. I, I feel old. I just feel so old. Uh, I have been doing this a long time. And it was a little easy for me in the beginning because one of the ways that I stood out is that I was male. I was one of the few men 
willing to talk about living with serious and persistent mental illness, being willing to talk about living with anxiety and bipolar disorder and depression and having mental health issues. So that made me stand out. That that was really, really helpful. The next thing that I did is I, I was part of the early trend that not, I, I, I did not invent this. I want everybody to be clear. I did not invent this, but I started using humor. I, I, I really, you know, there, there, when I got started, there weren't a lot of people who were willing to joke about living with mental illness. Now, now here we are 15 years later and, you know, some of the top comedians in the country have made entire careers out of, out of making fun of their mental health issues and mental illness, et cetera. But when I got started, especially in keynotes and advocacy, making jokes and letting people know that you can laugh about mental illness was it. I, I got a lot of hard pushback on it. So, so that was, again, it wasn't my topic that did it. It was my delivery that did it. The next thing is, is I realized early on that camps were setting up. There, there was always two sides to everything. There was this side and 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 this side. And they're like, okay, Gabe, what side are you on? And I'm like, neither. I'm on neither side. I, I actually see both things. Uh, for example, earlier in this episode, I, I said that I'm not anti-psychiatry because I do, in fact, think that pharmaceutical companies and their resources valuable uh, and, and needed. And everybody's like, okay, so you're you're pro-pharmaceutical companies. Nope. I think that pharmaceutical companies need held to a higher standard. I think that the FDA needs to look at the overprescription of antidepressants. I, I think that the rising rate of, of prescriptions is concerning. I think that we need to put a giant microscope on what's going on and see the areas where people are being overdiagnosed, overprescribed, or medications are used incorrectly uh, because people aren't getting good care. They're like, oh, so you're anti-pharmaceutical company. Nope. I am right in the middle. And that was different because everybody always wanted to pick a side. What side are you on? Are you the medical model or not the medical model? I'm, I'm both. I, who, who's, who's the person? Uh, and, and just on and on and on and on and on and on and on. All of these things made me different. I can honestly tell you that obviously if you want to be a mental health advocate in this space and you live with bipolar disorder and you literally are just regurgitating what everybody else is saying, you're, you're never going to rise above the noise. You need to have a message that's different. But I also want everybody to hear that even if you're in an oversaturated market, who, who cares? I, I mean, if that's your market, you just have to be the best one in that market, oversaturated or not. The restaurant industry is an oversaturated market, but new restaurants open all the time and are able to compete. Even though the vast majority of them will fail, every now and again, a new restaurant opens up and it becomes the spot. And they did something different. And you've just got to figure out what that thing is for you and make sure that it is sustainable and repeatable and honest and genuine. I love the part about being honest and genuine because, I mean, ultimately, you know, we a lot of people can speak to their illness but if you're not able to connect with people and do it in a way where it's so transparent and so honest and so genuine what's the point of doing it you know we can all just go down a script and read and read and read but it's connecting to people that actually makes the difference it's not reading off a script that's going to make the difference so that's a really good point I could not agree more. And 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 listen, it, people spot BS a mile away. We, we we just do. Be honest with yourself. We 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 
we know the sleazy car salesperson's you know shtick. We 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 know the slimy salesman's shtick. We we know we just we just you know the snake oil salesman. We this is well represented in pop culture, in books, in conversation. Uh, politicians, we all you know the slimy politics and just it, it's everywhere, right? When 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 somebody is lying to you, you know the little you know hairs in the back of your neck go up, or you just get that bad feeling. You're just like, I don't know, man. I don't trust you for some reason. And I know it's different for everybody, but I, I just, there's just no reason for it. Your story is valuable. Uh, what we're looking for now is how to deliver it and spend your time there. Absolutely. For people that are wanting to get started, um, obviously you are one, um, a great role model that could be someone could look up to and follow for making your progress. But do you have any other um, maybe fellow colleagues that you've come across that really are good positive influences on creating um, content that is um, worthwhile and, and also getting to know um, you know the right the right person rather than following someone that does spread misinformation that you might think that is positive. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Michelle Hammer. She's a schizophrenic.nyc. I, I think she puts out really genuine and honest content, uh, and and she gets pushback on it a lot. You, you know, people tell her that she's wrong or that she's faking or that she's a liar or that she just needs to do X, Y, Z. And her content remains, you know, pretty much the same. Uh, and so, you know, she she's not being beaten down by these people who are trying to tell a, a schizophrenic woman how to live. Um, and she's got a couple of things going against her, right? People love to tell people with mental illness what to do, and people love to tell women what to do. So the fact that she's able to stand up against both of those forces and, and, and you know, be her genuine and true self, it has is always been something that, that I have looked up to and respected. Uh, you know, the, the next person, Cody Green, another schizophrenic ac- activist, he goes by the schizophrenic hippie on TikTok and, and other social media, uh, you know, he does a really good job of, again, being genuine and giving you glimpses into his life, uh, good, bad, or ugly. And uh, he's really he's really good to his fans. He, he answers as much email and, and DMs and, um, and, and uh, social media comments, et cetera, as, as he can. He's willing to learn. You know, he, he's reversed himself a few times. You know, he said, you know, you've you got a good point there. I, I think I was wrong about this. Uh, or, or at least engaged in the discussion. And, and I think that's super valuable. I, I also think that, uh, you know, both of them, both, I don't want to say just Cody because it makes it sound like Michelle doesn't, but both Cody and Michelle, they really spend a lot of time researching what they say and learning about it and, and making sure that they stay up to date. They're, they're not just repeating something they learned 10 years ago and assuming that it's still a fact today. Uh, you know, there's other people who have, you know, Rachel Starr, uh, again, another schizophrenia advocate, uh, she hosts the podcast Inside Schizophrenia over on Healthline Media, uh, and it's a revolutionary podcast. Let's face it, schizophrenia is a small, small market. It, it's not huge. It's not big. And she talks about living with schizophrenia and providing resources for both uh, you know, caregivers, loved ones, families, friends, and in general society, as well as people living with schizophrenia. And, and she's, she's, got, she's got humor about her. She's got a personality. It's not, today we're going to talk about schizophrenia and people who suffer how awful the world is for them on this edition of it sucks to have schizophrenia no she's like listen i'm gonna help you lead a badass life i'm gonna help you connect to your loved ones i'm gonna help you get care 
I'm going to show you where these resources are. And she does it in an upbeat, positive way while also admitting that it sucks. It, 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 it sucks and it has down moments as well. And I think that that's an incredibly, incredibly positive thing. I feel like I've named off three people with schizophrenia, so I, I got to name somebody with bipolar disorder just to represent my my, my space. Uh, Natasha Tracy is awesome. Uh, she, she writes, just, just Google Natasha Tracy, she'll come right up. Uh, she has been blogging about bipolar disorder for years and years and years and years and years. And uh, of, of everybody that I have mentioned, she is the most meticulous. Uh, I, I, she, is, she is the only non-doctor that if somebody said, Natasha Tracy researched it and this is what she came up with, I would be like, I bet it's right. Everybody else, I'd be like, okay, well, what is, I, I double check it. Not, not to be rude to researchers or, or, I'm sorry, not to be rude to the lived experience patient, but, y you know, just Natasha Tracy is just an incredible researcher. Uh, and uh, while, while she lacks, you know, the, the, the humor of, of the other uh, three, uh, her, her facts are just, 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 just dead on. Uh, and it's incredible because she's a woman who lives with bipolar disorder and, and she's been able to create this high-level research that, frankly, rivals, uh, you know, doctors and professional researchers. And I think that's a real testament to how much effort that she puts into this. So uh, that would be my, my quick little group right there. Just incredible people. Uh, and, of course, present company is always excluded, but I would recommend Brandon as well. Uh, but you're already listening, so I don't have to. <laughs> Thank you. Well... Those are a fantastic group of people because I've actually looked up about well, more than half of them actually was watching um, uh, Cody's uh, content the other night. So uh, I encourage our listeners to go and follow any of them and uh, continue to learn as much as you can. Um, so we're looking into um, some of the biggest mistakes individuals make uh, when it comes to, you know, when they're starting off, um, because there's a lot of, a lot of pressure to kind of one, stay consistent with everything. And then, you know, the internet always tells you one thing or another to, to become this, you need to be that, uh, you know, stay consistent on your content. But what is one thing that you find um, that people to struggle with when it comes to misinformation? I think that people really get sucked into this idea that if they do this one thing, they will become an overnight success. And, 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 and they're just, they're, they're, I, I, they, they get poached. I, there's really no other way that I can, like they're on the right track, right? They're, they're, they're growing steady. They're, they're building consistent content. They, 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 they've got like a, a personality that they're, they're, the, the audience is starting to find them. And then one day they read online that if you do the following, you will become a millionaire tomorrow. And then suddenly the thing that they were doing that was working and growing and they were building a following and a tribe who liked them, they completely change. So they go from being uh, serious, you know, like, well, I give out serious information uh, in, in quick one minute snippets. And then they read an article somewhere that the average length of a TikTok is, is now two and a half minutes and it's really grown. And they're like, uh oh. So suddenly they're now giving two and a half minute stuff. And then somebody says, well, humor is always better than seriousness. So the one minute serious video becomes a two and a half minute funny video, except the person doing it's not funny. And the thing that everybody liked is that it was it was quick. It was a minute. So now there's this rambling, non-funny person because they read an article that said that this was now a trend. Uh, look, the article wasn't wrong. I want to be very clear. The article was right it, 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 in, in this analogy 
a two and a half minute funny video on TikTok uh, is is the one that the people like the most right now. But they're using all of TikTok. You're supposed to make decisions based on your audience, not all of TikTok or all of uh, Facebook or all of Instagram. So it, it's it's very difficult to not get sucked into this. Oh my God! If I only do X, I will make it. Uh, maybe, but probably not. Uh, so there really is this real fear of of taking all the advice that you get and trying to incorporate 100% of it. it it's never going to work. It's never going to work. Now, by the same token, and the one that should surprise nobody, is there are also people who just think that they know everything. I know everything and I need no help. So they take zero advice. Well, I, you, you know, look, I, maybe, maybe you do in fact know everything and need zero ideas, support, or anything from the outside world. But I, I got to tell you, that's probably not true because you probably should listen to your audience. Your audience will tell you what they want. And if you're ignoring even them, then who are you actually building content for or giving speeches to or building podcasts around? Uh, and, and, and if I may, Brandon, you know, look, the, I, I host a podcast called Inside Mental Health and it covers all kinds of mental health topics. And I, you can repeat this from the rooftops. It's not like a secret between, you know, us. I, I, I tell everybody this. I am not interested in every topic we cover. I, in fact, I would say a, a solid half of them, I have zero interest in. I, I could care less. They don't speak to me. They're not my lived experience. I'm not interested in it. I don't care. But my audience does. And I work for them. So I've got decisions to make. I, I I can choose 52 topics that I love, that only I love, right? And and just get the most out of the most out of the most and make it the Gabe show, right? Or I can listen to my audience and they're like, hey, we want content on postpartum depression. Now, you can see we're a guy that that I, I don't have children, right? So, and, and I'm not going to have children. And postpartum depression uh, impacts women uh, much, much more uh, than men, although I, I do want to be clear, postpartum depression can, in fact, in, impact men. I learned that on the show. Uh, so it would be something that I would skip over in favor of, of uh, you know, things that interest me, like the new biomarkers of bipolar disorder and, and how your pills may not work after 50. Oh, why? Well, I'm getting ready to turn 50, and this sounds really important. But I got to ask myself, the audience isn't asking for biomarkers for bipolar disorder. The audience is asking for women's mental health. So which way do I go? I, I, I go women's mental health because that's what they want. Uh, and and it's, it's super important to be open-minded enough that you take that feedback, but you still have to be reasonable enough to make decisions that you, uh, um, I'm sorry, but you still have to be reasonable enough to make decisions that work for your brand and not just blindly follow every single person who sends you an email. I think that's a really important part there with um, your, your audience is going to be your driving point um, when we look at growth and then also looking at your content because, you know, not everything is going to be, you know, what you are interested in because not everyone is interested in the same thing. And I think that is one thing that really is going to make your content diverse. It's going to make it so you have a wide variety that some people may skip over every single episode but that one episode that they want to hear. And it doesn't mean they don't like your content. 
It just means they're not interested in what you're putting out for those uh, particular reasons. Exactly. And if I can touch on just something real quick, I think another big mistake that people make is their unwillingness to say, I don't know. I, I don't know is, is the most powerful thing ever. When you're standing on a stage and somebody asks you a question and you don't know, just, just say you don't know. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, listen, I, you shouldn't be so flippant. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, but, but I always say, you know, that's not my area of expertise or, you know, I've never thought about that before and I'm really not sure. Um, if you want, if you feel that it's something that maybe you should know or, or an area that, that maybe you should beef up, et cetera, you can say, you know, I'm not sure. Get with me after and I will find you information on that. If it's completely outside of your scope or something that you're never going to look out, don't lie. Just say, you know, I don't know. That, that is not a question that I can answer. All right, next question. And just move on. People feel that they have to know everything because they're on a stage or because they're a content creator, or because they're a podcast host. That's that's literally ridiculous. And I got to tell you, you will build so much credibility on your other answers when you're willing to admit that you don't know certain things. Uh, and, and, and sometimes, it, you know, I don't know. Most of us know a little bit about a lot. So there are some questions that people ask me. It's like, you know, I don't know the answer to this question, but I do know X. And, and, and the rest of it is, is, is not really my area of expertise. That's, that's fine as well. But some people will try to take that that little dot of knowledge that they know and expand it out into greatness. You you didn't. It, it's just BS. The audience spots it, and now they're questioning every other answer that you ever gave. I think that's really good too, because you know when you're not just saying um, I don't know, you're giving them the opportunity. Maybe even you know another professional that does know the answer to that, so you can then send them that way, or you can um, just cut down on the misinformation that's out of there because the more BS that does come out of people, the higher chance that you spread uh, misinformation in the long term. Exactly. And you're just going to blow your credibility and nobody's ever going to want to hire you again. I, I mean, th this goes in so many directions. Morally and ethically, it's wrong to put out misinformation because it could hurt somebody, right? It, it, it could impact somebody's care, somebody's recovery, and, and you don't want to be responsible for that. That's number one. Number two, let's look at it from a business standpoint. If the people in the room think you're, you're, you're full of BS, they're not going to hire you for their conference. So eventually you're just going to stop getting hired, right? So it's not good for business. It's not good for your, your ethics and morals. Uh, it, it's just a bad scene all the way around. And I really wish that we could normalize being able to admit that we don't know something. I think it's an incredible thing not to know something. Just be proud of it. Absolutely. And, you know, being proud of it is sometimes the best thing we can do at the moment. Um, when looking at uh, the fact that both of us do podcasts um, to create awareness and inspire others, um, what is the best way to grow an audience uh, when finding guests and um, using it as a way to, one, um, network, but to um, really just get to the point where you're, you're getting new content out there as well? Consistency matters. I, 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 I'm hard stop, right? If, if you're if you're not consistent, your audience, they'll, they'll fall away. Uh, there's an exception to every rule. Everybody tells me, well, Joe Rogan's not consistent. He just releases stuff whenever he wants. Okay, look, when you have 2 billion podcast downloads a year, you can be inconsistent as well. But for the rest of us, being able to, you know, I release every Thursday uh, for Inside Mental Health. I release every other Monday for Inside Bipolar Disorder. You can set your watch to it. It's like clockwork. You know when it's going to come out. You can rely on it. And people do. So consistency really, really matters. 
Uh, and, and that guests feel that way as well. When guests look at your body of work and they're like, yeah, he's released an episode every Thursday for eight years. Uh, yeah, I, I want to be involved in this. Uh, as far as choosing guests, look, there, there's no science behind it. Um, I, I can tell you that most of the time, more often than not, most of the time, uh, topic is more important than guest. Uh, you can have the most incredible guest in the world, but if the topic is boring, people are going to turn it off. Uh, you know, think of your favorite movie star ever. Uh, just just whomever you love more than any other movie star, and that person comes on and starts talking about something that you are completely uninterested in. Dinosaurs. They're still your favorite movie star, but you wanted to hear them discuss their latest movie or w what it was like to, you know, to work with this particular actor or uh, maybe the SAG after strike, you, you know, things like that. So if the, the topic tends to be more important than the guest, almost always. Uh, so make sure you've got a very, very compelling topic and, and make sure you've got a guest who people want to hear from. Now, people want to hear from guests for a variety of reasons, but I got to tell you, the number one reason that they want to hear from a guest is that they're engaging. Uh, you are the gatekeeper, right? So uh, if I was doing a, a podcast on, on, you know, gene splicing, right? Uh, I am sure that some of my, my friends who are comedians would be much more engaging than the lead researcher on gene splicing. Um, I'm just pretending in this uh, analogy that the lead researcher on gene splicing is a very, very boring person. Um, so, but you're the gatekeeper, right? Don't, don't put on the people who know nothing about gene splicing just because they're funny. Um, but your goal is to find the highest level expert on gene splicing that is also engaging. And, and I use funny, but, but in, engaging, has a personality, can, can speak the level of your audience, whatever that level is. Uh, and then your job is to find them, convince them, and get them on the show. And again, the way that you can get them on the show is showing them other guests, showing them consistency, giving them samples of, of your audience, et cetera, uh, so that they know that, that they're not wasting their time, meeting them in person like you, you did with me, um, you know, when you talk to me, I'm like, yeah, this is a guy whose podcast I want to be on. I, I like him. He works hard. He's got a good show. It, it, it's anchored with a good organization. And I want to be part of that. Uh, all of those things will, will get you your good guests. As far as growing after that, ask your guests to share. Ask your guests to, you know, share their episode on social media. Uh, give them the tools that they need. Give them the links, the graphics, the whatever. When you share on your social media, tag them and, and, and hope that they repost, retweet, whatever. Uh, and, and it, you know, ask them to put them in a newsletter or what, because that gets you as much as you can. Uh, finally, consistency and promotion does really matter. Uh, you know, putting things up on social media, putting, you know, little video snippets or reels in, in the podcasting game uh, is always very important. Uh, and, and of course, uh, if you have a newsletter, uh, putting it in the newsletter, you know, week after week as it comes out is always very valuable as well. And then beyond that, just watch your growth. If you see your growth uh, stagnate for whatever reason, start looking into the audience and being like, hey, what's going on? What what don't you like? And uh, and then be be open to what they say. Perfect. Yeah, that's a lot of good tips. And, um, you know, I'm definitely going to use some, on, uh, some growth here because um, it is really hard to stay consistent, you know, and especially when we look at social media posts, um, 
one finding you know your your specific type of content that you want to put out there but then also um, going different routes to grow it uh, over time is extremely important um so i wanted to finish off the episode by um looking into your experience with haters on the internet because the longer you go into something like this the more people have opinions on your content on you know because like you said in the past too that not everyone is going to agree with you on what you're saying and i'd love to know what your uh view is on that on how to handle it with also without making it damaging to your own mental health because you know by the end of the day you also have to take care of yourself so there's once again it, it's one of those things where, where there's no tried and true method Dif- different people have different tolerance levels the first thing i will say is if, if your tolerance level is is look i i can't hear this negativity i don't i don't, I don't like to be called names i just it, it, it upsets me and it costs me sleep etc then then opt out don't read your comments at all uh, if you have a, a trusted friend or a trusted ally, you can ask them to go through your comments and give you the ones that are actionable. Uh, and, you know, so, so, you know, you, you ask your, ask your spouse, ask your buddy, ask a, a colleague, ask somebody at Miracle Clubhouse, like, hey, I'm not going to read my own comments. If there's any in there that you feel are good that I should read, you know, like somebody says, hey, man, I love you, but your, your, your audio quality is too low. Then just have them bring that to you. When the person says, hey, you suck don't don't have them bring that to you and and that way you can still get the action items out without you having to delve into that black hole uh so but if you're like me i do like to read them and one of the things that i look for in a comment a negative comment that i'm going to respond to is the intent of which it was delivered so if anybody is respectful if they are respectful but they disagree with me i answer those almost 100 percent of the time so if somebody writes, you know, dear Gabe, I listened to your podcast on two plus two equals five. And I understand the point that you are making about two plus two equaling four. And, and I respect it. But you have to understand that two plus two equals five has been the way my entire life. And it really sounds like you're asking me to tell my mother who taught me this, that she is wrong. That is just a hard lift. And frankly, I, I still believe that two plus two equals five. And I think that you really missed the mark here, not explain, not not preparing people that their families would turn on them. Okay, that that person has clearly told me I'm wrong. They they've invoked their mother. They've they've invoked family relationships going poorly because of my podcast. That's a lot, right? That that that's a. But the intent was respectful. It was very respectful. They just disagreed with me. So first, I want to let everybody know that is not hating. That is not trolling. That is just a disagreement, and that's okay. People are allowed to disagree with you. In fact, you should encourage that because it means that they're 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 taking your content, they're evaluating their content, and they're using your content. It just so happens in this case, they've rejected your content. That is a reasonable outcome. I know it's not our favorite one, but that is a reasonable one. So what I would do is I would reply, you know, First and foremost, I, I would I would I would read it and I would be like, okay, well, I, I you're right. I did not cover how families deeply believe this and how if you address this in families, it might cause problems. So that 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 could be a good episode. You you, you know, uh, uh, educating others about how two plus two actually equals four. I I might start thinking that could be an episode. Now, 
I, I would write to this person and be like, you know, and, and the first thing I would say is, thank you for sharing this with me, right? Because because I I am thankful. And and then I would explain the purpose of the episode was just two plus two equals four and not five. You're right. I did not delve into family dynamics. I did not delve into how to tell your mom. I did not delve into, uh, or, you know, I touched a little bit on the history of how we got here, how it was repeated from generation to generation, but I spent the majority of the time in the episode explaining the two plus two equals four. So I'm really going to look into this and and maybe a future episode will have more of the, how did we get here? Because it, it sounds like it's really struck a nerve with you and and probably other members of the audience. Now, if it was on social, I might say, is that true? Did other members of the audience find this to be striking? And now a conversation is built up. And then a whole bunch of people were like, yeah, I didn't want to tell my mom. Or yeah, my mom got angry too. Or my mom told me that this is what happens when you send your kid to college. And just, and then I might be like, oh my God, like there's a lot here. And then I'd build an episode around it. Or a whole bunch of people might say, no, I didn't feel that way at all. You know, sometimes moms and, and, and children disagree. So I can really learn a lot. And then I would thank each person and I would be sure to make, to, to thank that person. Uh, I think more often, no, not more often, not. I think too much, too much people call disagreements haters and people call disagreements trolls. And that's not what that means. You have to be willing to engage in a reasonable discourse over your subject, even with people who don't agree with you. Now, let's get to, I, I feel that it's, it's, it's only fair to talk about real haters. When people are like, you suck and I hate you and I'm going to kill your dog, I delete and block. Delete and block, delete and block, delete and block, delete and block. Uh, obviously, if they're, if they're super cruel, you, 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 you know, racial slurs, misogyny, uh, you know, gender information, people, you, you know, sexism, whatever, like all of that stuff, delete and block. I, I don't even I don't even do it. Uh, um, you know, obviously, if people are, are just literally cruel, I, I delete and block them. Now, there, there is like a gauge in the middle where somebody's like, you know, Gabe, I read that episode or I listened to that episode and it sucked. Here's my advice for that one. Yeah, it's not the nicest, right? It's not. But do you really want to block them? No. But they also don't deserve a response. I'm not going to give them any of my time. So I would leave that comment up, but I would not respond to it. And you've got to decide where that threshold is. And people ask me all the time, they're like, you know, Gabe, if somebody tells you that you sucked or... Or, or, you know, that episode sucked. Or, hey, you really missed the mark. Maybe you should retire. Um, hey, I'd like a new host. Any host would be better than that Gabe guy. His voice is God so awful. I'm tired of hearing it. And people were like, Gabe, why don't you block them? Here's why. You know, it's it's kind of in the middle. I, I It's not nice. And it wasn't intended to be nice. But maybe that person's having a bad day. You know, maybe something else is going on in their lives. And I do try to remember that I work in the mental health space. I'm working with people who, like me, have had bad days that we could not control because of our mental health. So I'm just going to go ahead. I'm not going to give them my time. I'm not going to let them live rent-free in my head. I'm not going to give them my energy. But I'm not going to delete them either. And I have to tell you, it doesn't happen a lot. I don't want anybody to hear it. It doesn't happen a lot at all. But occasionally somebody will send me an email. They'll be like, hey, two years ago, I told you that you sucked and I hated your voice. And then one day I had nowhere to turn. So I listened to like nine of your podcasts in a row. And uh, 
yeah, I was wrong. I was wrong. It, you, your voice is actually quite soothing, and you gave me the information that I needed when nobody else was even making it. Um, and I was right back the same thing. You know, thank you for being honest with me. Uh, a lot of people are making content on this. Have you tried listening to these people? Maybe you'll like their voice more. <laughs> and I give them some, you know, and I, and people right back and like, you know, that, that that's so cool. Thank you. And yeah, n then I never hear from them again, but it, it, it does feed into this idea that, look, we're working with people with, with serious and persistent mental illness, with mental health issues. Maybe they're just having a bad day and they took it out on you. And if, if it doesn't cross over your threshold, just ignore them. So really establishing just what you can handle and what you, you know, classify as, you know, negative comments and also what you can use as a learning experience too, because, you know, the, the far end, when you look at respectable comments, when they're not quite, not quite on the other side yet, but, um, using it as a, a teaching experience can be a really good way to do it and also having a friend that can help with the blocking part because that could be very difficult when you're trying to do the best you can do and you know at the end of the day you've done all of that and then someone just really is being you know hateful when they might have a bad day it's really hard to find the reason but not uh ruminating is the best way so that is a great way to do it Here's the reality. You can't let it get to you. When you put something out for public consumption, the public is allowed to consume it however they want. And some of those public, some of the public is going to consume it negatively. And that's okay. You gave it to the public. You have to be prepared for the public not to like it. Now, again, that said, that doesn't mean that you have to take abuse. Nobody here, the public is allowed to abuse you. They're not. But they are allowed to dislike your work. And I think also, you know, with everything we've talked about today is finding the level that you're okay with people knowing, because I always uh, recommend when we do a testimonial on this uh, station, if you're not comfortable with it right now, don't share it. Because when you put something out and open yourself up to any part of your testimonial, your story, um, if it's not ready to be put out, it's it's going to be damaging and you're going to open yourself up for one further um, damaging parts to your, your mental health. But also, if you do get some kind of comment about it and you're not ready for it, that it's, it's not going to be productive in the long run. Now, we've talked about a lot of great things and uh, really enjoyed the conversation we had with Gabe Howard today. And I really want to thank him for coming and also sticking with me for the past two years. Uh, it's been a long, but very um, rewarding two years. And I can't uh, really can't thank Gabe Howard enough. Oh, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. And with that, um, if you want to learn more about, um, Gabe's podcast and his work. There'll be uh, links in the descriptions. And then also, if you want to learn more about Empower Half an Hour, go to any of our social media pages on Instagram or Facebook and our website as well, which is www.empowerhalfanhour.com. And until next time, have a great day, everyone. <laughs>